um, the other question I I had, and and now that I've just written a, a, a prologue for book five, which has him in it, it's it's Hal Hal who who um, Hallelujah Jones who who is our prologue protagonist. I'm interested what, what people name. think of him. I love that name. Hallelujah Jones. I, I, you'll know how I got it. It takes me back to like Highland and stuff. Um, oh yes. I was. I was. I don't know if you know, but uh, Scrivener's got a create a name feature, right? And that's <laughs> that's how I got it. I was just clicking on that, and it, and, and it came up <laughs> Hallelujah Jones, and I thought I'm going to use that one day in a book. It's such a good name. Oh, God, you have to. <laughs> so Hal is Hal is an interesting character, and I'm I've just written a a, a prologue to book five, and I think. I think J.I. drew the short straw to write the prologue for book four as well, if I'm understanding this right. You, you did, because I'm going to be writing the prologue to book two, and I've still got to write the epilogue to book five. So. Okay, oh, that works. So <laughs> so I'm enjoying this guy, and he's he's a very interesting character, but um, Nell actually made an appearance, funnily enough, in the, in the, latest, in the latest prologue with him. Um, so she's sort of becoming less of a side character and more of more of a, a, a cast member at the, the risk of asking for a spoiler does she kick him in the face <laughs> <laughs> oh god yes <laughs> she she may this also may reversed do. on her i need elliot to kick her in the face at some point like <laughs> <laughs> like he's doing a backflip and just accidentally connects and he's like oh <laughs> Oh well, let me let me give you let me give you another non non spoiler spoiler that doesn't really change. This is fine, I think, to say. Um, she's actually Elliot's cousin. Oh, ah. So there you go. So we nobody listens to this spoiler. podcast until you've read the entire series in five years. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's 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 a surprise because the entire series should be out by the end of next year. Okay, then. The end of 2021. The end of 2021. May, mm. Maybe it might go on to January 2022. But yeah, it's you're not going to have that long to wait. And um, how many books will that be? Inclu including the spin-off, nine books. Um, right, good. So we start in March and it will be one a month. But there may be a little gap where we put in um, one of our other stories. Um, yeah, so there we go. Well, that'll make for good reading then. So you finish one and you can get the next one. That sounds perfectly fine. Yeah, so all in all, it will be, it's including spin off, nine books. So that, you know, all in one, if you wanted to sit down and binge, that would be, that, that would be <laughs> yes. quite a good, quite a good read. So for Christmas 2021, you can get the box <laughs> set. <laughs> of nine books. <laughs> well, we'd, we will definitely be doing a box set at some point, to be sure. Ooh. But um, what, this is the first cycle of books, so we we also have a plan to do more after that. I'm excited. <laughs> so, so Nell was brought up. She's Elliot's cousin. So what's not clear about about that family for me is just how many people were in Elliot's family and were they all trained as assassins? Was oh, that a spoiler? That is a Better spoiler. Down, so we won't. So we won't. We won't. We won't. We won't answer that because that gets answered very quickly in the next oh, book. Oh, okay. Very right. quickly. It's a very dysfunctional family, though, isn't it? It well, is. Well, they seem healthy. <laughs> I don't know about that. They, they seem <laughs> functional in their own way. <laughs> you, would, you wouldn't want to turn your back on them while you're making dinner, though. That'd be I mean, tricky. they're functional in the way a guillotine blade is functional. You know? Yeah, yeah, they do their job. <laughs> their job. They're not really nuanced about it. Giving's probably great. <laughs> They've got one track. <laughs> they go down that track repeatedly. <laughs> Things don't tend to end well. For those on the receiving end, <laughs> no, no, they wouldn't wouldn't be people you want to make an enemy of. When I consider that the only remnants of this family are young, things don't end well for the family either. 
It's just a really good point. <laughs> yeah, also notable, the average age expectancy is like apparently 20. <laughs> That's actually very perceptive. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it doesn't feel like a... Yeah, it's not a spoiler, like, really. Like life expanding <laughs> business. <laughs> like... Yeah, they're, they're not like a, a family of plumbers or anything like that. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, they the, the family very much coming to the next book. So that's good. Um, and you'll you'll get to learn lots more about them. Once again, it's a it's a story first. I love this. It it definitely is. Um, and you know we're we just finished book five, uh, first draft. So we're we're, we're tightly on schedule. Um, and the next thing we'll be writing is the spin-off book, which we're pretty excited about doing. And who's the main character for that? Completely new characters. Yeah, oh. by then they're going to be sick of these guys. <laughs> <laughs> but then all these guys are going to be dead. There's that. <laughs> Arthur's on his back. Elliot hit 21, so he's got to go. He's, gotta go. <laughs> he's out of there. Actually, one of the one of the things that I found quite surprising is uh, I did a timeline um, for stories, and all the way up to book five, I think it's only over a period of three months. Maybe four. Wow. That's a lot of action in three months. Yeah. Um, so, so that that was, I found that quite surprising. Um, but we, we've put together this complete chart of where everybody is at, on every given day through the novel. Um, just to make sure we had that all, oh, that's all cool. in line. Yeah. It was cool. Once it was done, it was it was cool to look at. Yeah, once it's done, it's cool. <laughs> They're going to need a rest, really. That's the point. And I think that's where the spin-off uh, Super Time Tokyo Zombie Party comes in. Um, Love that name. So, so we have two two main characters for that. One is called Rina Jin, who's a, uh, a Japanese lady who works in an owl cafe in Akihabara. Um, in an owl cafe? An owl cafe, that's right. A cafe with owls. Yes. Okay. Yes, very much mini owls. Um, mm -hmm. She also has a spinning owl dance that she does for customers. Oh, that sounds good. I like that. <clears throat> yes. That's a real then, thing over in Japan. Yes, there are owl cafes. That's right. <laughs> Just like there are maid cafes. And the other character is called Danny O'Hara. Uh, and I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave him to Jay to explain. Well... I'm I'm guessing that some uh, that some of you might know who that is, and it's the one of the characters in Snow Angels, uh, but later on, um, who's an ex an ex child child star, who finds himself in a uh, a Comic Con in Tokyo when the action takes place. Um, so the the only real plot idea we have at this point is that this is set in Tokyo. It is called Super Time Tokyo Zombie Party, so you can imagine what's happening. <laughs> and pretty much um yeah, it's 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 gonna be fun to write. So we're looking I'm looking forward to that. We're gonna start that next month. Owls with zombies. It sounds good. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's obviously you know, um, well, I think it's probably obvious what it is. And <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's not obvious at all. Okay. Um... <laughs> I'm having trouble with this. You know, this this joining of owls and zombies. <laughs> okay, it's, 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 it's an intellectual a... challenge for me. It's it's about a bat fighting a clown. I'm pretty sure we. <laughs> <laughs> It's very Shakespearean, is what JJ's saying. Yeah, it's a it's a disaster. It's a it's a basically a disaster story, obviously, um, set in set in Tokyo, and 
you probably wouldn't have to think too hard to guess who caused the disaster. But you know, let's not get into that. Yeah. Um... <laughs> the owl. <laughs> the owls. <laughs> it's always Elliot. The answer is always Elliot. <laughs> Um, I think he's no, he's not entirely responsible. Oh, no, he is, isn't he? I forgot that. He, yeah, is. No, he is. Yeah, no, he is. <laughs> I haven't read it, but yeah, he is. <laughs> That's right. You don't even have to have read it to know this. Um, Random people on the street will tell you the same. <laughs> yes, it was Elliot. But we, 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 we both really loved the idea of following it through and writing a story about it. Um, so you know, um, and so the main characters won't be in it, but maybe there'll be some cameos by a couple of the um, characters with smaller parts. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Mm -hmm. Once again, I'm just envisioning the TV show. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cameo. <laughs> yes, Amazon Prime, if you're listening. Um, yeah. We'll be doing I'm the sure treatment soon. We'll be doing the treatment soon. <laughs> Very soon. Um, <laughs> so, Gandalf, I, I think you should you should tell us why am I calling you Gandalf? Um, JJ. Jay <laughs> Gandalf. Um, Never heard of Gandalf. <laughs> why, why don't Why don't you tell us a bit about um, Capitalist Bacon? Mm, good idea. Mm. Uh, Capitalist Bacon. It is a completely different kind of book compared to Splice and all of that. It is um, contemporary fiction. And the basic backdrop is it is a young saleswoman who is having to basically find the balance when it comes to her morals and what she wants out of the world and also the necessities that she faces in the world, you know, primarily with an ill father that she is stuck taking care of. And she has to find a way to pay those bills. And sometimes you have to make hard choices and those hard choices can have consequences. And that's what the story is about for her. Oh dear. I've not read the it. ending yet, but, but now I'm worried. Oh, you should worry. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> no spoilers. Everyone, spoilers. <laughs> I, was, I was surprised. But I have read his short stories as well, you know, and they all seem to have a... <laughs> they tend towards a similar ending. Not well, similar one day ending. maybe some of those short stories will end up in a magazine, but for now maybe those endings are what's keeping them out. <laughs> I have also read his short stories, so I'm just starting to get an inkling about how this thing may end. Well, I, I love I Capitalist Bacon. I, I thought it was a fantastic novel. Um, and I was always glad to see the next the next bit there. Some sometimes even two or three posts a day, which was nice. Yep, it is in the query phase and uh going for traditional publishing first and we'll see uh you know if anyone bites. I think it's good. It's it's nice that it's uh it has a a serious intellectual undertone too. I mean you've got this nice plot that that sits on top or a story that sits on top of the 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 philosophy as well which i liked a lot yeah it feels allegorical to me it's a complex novel yeah mm. some levels of it were allegorical some were less so the answer it, de Anyways. it deals with some very deep um issues though you know the you know the issue of her of aging population well aging populations really although he wasn't aging he was ill and responsibilities through the generations as well mm. and how much do you owe to the previous generation I, there are a lot mm. of deep deep themes in there that i thought were handled really well and the well fortunately and unfortunately in the united states right now we have a lot going on and it gives you lots of fodder for mm. examining some of those deep subjects mm. one of the things that i've been finding interesting about it albeit i haven't got to the ending yet but the, up so far anyway is how some of the themes of of politics u.s politics um and that tribalism that exists have have filtered down into this company and then also into the way that the 
the organization treats the staff on the ground. That that's that's been very interesting. Yes, I thought that was fascinating because it's a very culturally specific thing. Yeah, it is. I, yeah, I thought I thought JJ, you you hit that on the head. That whole capitalist bacon book was perfect. I've done that kind of work. I hate to admit I've supervised that kind of work. And the, you got those guys down, and the way that office was run is spot on. And I can actually see, even though I said I was shocked about the ending, I can see it. I can see it. I, I mean, no, it's amazing that it doesn't end that way more. Which we won't say how it ends because no, no. It's, a it's a spoiler. That would be. It's a guy in a bat onesie, right? That's, that's it, what it, it ends. It ends with the main character fighting a clown. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then my reader expectations are met. That's fine. That's fine. And there are terrapins as well. <laughs> terrapins everywhere. <laughs> Deus Ex Terrapin. Perfect. <laughs> yes. Rowena, would you like to talk about uh, Kiss Wife? Oh, I could. It's um, it's domestic noir, which is a relatively new genre in um, in the the crime, mystery, cozy thriller genre, and it's um, it's typically written really badly. But I'm really hoping mine's not. I'm really hoping that mine is good. Um, it is. Yours is not a... written badly, Rowena. Oh, no, thank it's great. you. Thank you. Thank you. It's um, it basically is is. Oh, it's. I guess it's almost a horror crossover too. So, which is why it's a new genre, um, because you have the the overlay of domesticity and everything happening on the surface as per normal. You know, families doing things, but underneath it all, there's this seething um, evil type underbelly where where uh, you know people are murdered and um, people plot and there's. Um, there's drugs and and um, a variety of things, really. You know, so you know you've got your nice normal domestic setting, but really it's seething underneath. No one's talking about it. So I'm trying to do that balance to show just how how unstable that domestic setting really is. It's like oil on the water, but that you know, that juxtaposition is perfect. Like the way, because all of the evil things that happen or the, the the mysterious things that happen are set off in a way by the the this sort of placid domesticity that exists or the the image of that on the top it it really can be quite chilling well, i mean when yes I, it's quite sorry so I say, when i when i was reading the opening chapters i had this continual feeling that i got watching 12 angry men um extreme kind of shut in intensity and and that that mm. really came through for me, that it was yes it was a you know a domestic situation, but it was one that felt very trapped, um, and, yeah, and, and very very intense. Right. Yeah, yes, I have to agree is... with what everyone's saying. That you know the the setting ups the intensity of it because it's a setting. I mean, everyone lives somewhere, right? So the idea of most of this being set in a home life scenario, it's very it's extra chilling. Oh, good. There's a lot there's of activity lot of... around around the pantry. <laughs> there is. Yeah. There's, there's also a lot of very subtle imagery going on all the way through. Uh, um, locks are frequently referred to. Keys are frequently referred to. There are there are um, sort of allusions to bars on windows in in the way that things are described. It's 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 very cleverly done. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of imagery there. I think that when you're reading through, you might miss, um, well, I may have missed and, and, and picked up on reread where I, where I go, Oh, look at that. There's a trick I want to steal. Um, <laughs> well, I'm hoping that it's sort of all goes under the surface, but you pick it up subconsciously so that, mm. you know, when something happens, um, you've got all of those images that, that are sitting behind it, hopefully anyway. Um, if I can write it well enough, but it is actually really quite hard to write uh, because because I keep thinking nothing's happening, but but then a lot has already happened. It's just that 
you know, it may not be so obvious. And so when something does happen, all of those clues come into place straight away and it makes perfect sense why something has happened. Understand. So you're you're having to to keep the plot moving while disguising what's actually happening. <laughs> Yes. So that when 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 certain realizations are reached by the reader, all of the clues that you've spread in there all suddenly drop into place, similar yes, to yeah. the way that a a, yes. a regular mystery novel would work. It, it well, it's actually more difficult than a regular mystery. Um, if I'd known that, I might have started something differently. Um, yeah. But it's it's <laughs> because of the regular mystery. Um, you know, you you have a you have an investigator, and they find clues, and they go, "Oh, look at this clue. Here it is." You know. And... <laughs> Oh, here's yeah. another one. Here, here there are no ball. clues. <laughs> That's right. no. Yeah, that, that, no. It's all hidden. Yes. yes. Yeah. But I can see why that would be more difficult. Yeah, it's realistic because it's it's a first-person narrative. So um, it's all seen through the eyes of the of the main character, whose name is Serafina. And she she's not aware of what she knows. She begins with her finding a body. Um but she doesn't. She's not aware of who did it, of course, or why, why, why it happened, or anything around it. So, as she as she lives her life, just trying to live her life as an ordinary person, all of these things are happening, and people are manipulating her as well. But she doesn't know that. So, she's and so the reader also may not know it because we're only seeing things through her eyes. Because if we, if we didn't see things through her eyes, then we'd know what was happening. But she's the one who's in the dark, and the reader is in the dark with her until it all becomes incredibly obvious. You're doing that so well. I mean, I don't even read that genre, and I am enraptured by this thing. Oh, thank you. I'm delighted to hear that. I want I want you to finish it. I want it published. I want to buy it. I want to give a copy to my mother. I want to give a copy to Trish. I want to give a copy to my sister. There are so many people I know who would love this. This is what they read, and they need to read this. Oh, cool. Good. Good, good. I, I echo and that. I, it's so well done. I, it, it's interesting, too, because, you know, I'm, I'm Australian, and it is very much set in Australia. And I did wonder how much would translate to an overseas person reading. Would it make sense? But yes, it must, because, John, you like it. That's great. Yeah, I'm about, I'm about as backwoods as you'll ever get. <laughs> I think, I think Rowena, the point of it is, is that it's a domestic situation. You, you've got mm. effectively a soccer mom who, yes. um, and that, that experience to me, that's from every mom. I mean, she she reminds me of my mother. She reminds me of my ex-wife when we were raising our kids. Right. Oh, exactly. And, and so while the, the location isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I am not Mitch. Not Mitch, no. <laughs> no one wants to be Mitch. <laughs> no. No, he's not. He's, Everyone he's not wants to kill problem. Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> Get the semi out. Yeah, exactly. The whole fleet of semis is coming for him. The <laughs> clown. He's not very lovable, is he? Really? No. No. He does no. have redeeming features, though. <laughs> he does have redeeming features. It's just that I haven't written them in there yet, but they are coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just going to say you that I don't. The author, but I don't believe you. <laughs> I don't trust Serafina at all. Um, and I After think something in chapter, do I. <laughs> incredibly clever is being done here uh, with with reliability of our first person narrator, but that's my personal theory. Um, and yes, anyway. Once again, that goes to the skill of the writer. Mm -hmm. oh, thank you. Well, I think Agreed. That, that's, that's the thing about, I mean, this novel specifically, but, but all good novels, If you, I think if you're telling a very good story, I don't think that the genre is that important. If, if something grabs you, it grabs you. And this absolutely grabbed me. Oh, thank absolutely. You. Thank you. Look, I agree. I don't think, I think genre is out of date. I actually think that genre in 10 years time won't even be a word because <clears throat> I think it, it came about primarily as a, as a satisfactory way to make it to stock books in a bookshop. Yeah. In a bookshop. And bookshops are a bit, you know, disappearing anyway. 
with with the internet and and the potential for uh, e books, there's no reason why we have to be corralled into one little genre where we we only go shopping. Like you know, if if I if I look in a bookshop for for um, a crime novel, it'll be divided into crime mysteries and cozies and thrillers and something else and. And then we've got speculative fiction on the other side of the room and then we've got romance somewhere else. But in reality, all stories involve a whole lot of those factors. So you can have a crime set in space, you know, which is really interesting from a crime perspective. Or you can have uh, a crime which also involves romance. So trying to divide up novels in this very artificial way is wrong, I think and very limiting and it's a bit insulting to the reader who actually I think likes uh would be happy to read you know a crime novel <clears throat> set on an asteroid for example because that makes it a really interesting setting for this particular crime because all crimes are the same you know crime involves people being murdered or or something you know and it's a personal affront similarly romance it doesn't matter if you're falling in love with you know your your, your hooved cephalopod you know you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> if it had a really nice personality you know <laughs> the cephalopod in the kitchen with the tentacle <laughs> yes exactly yes yes when in andrew's case there is a story like that i think so <laughs> i think i've read that yeah, <laughs> yeah I think I've read that too. <laughs> so so i actually think the internet's going to free up all of these this stupid idea of genres so that we can all read stuff we like in across the range and find it easy to easy to pick up and, and discover. That's just I think you're right. Anyway. I've always considered myself basically a, a science fiction reader as far mm. as fiction goes, but I'm discovering after joining um, Incubator that I like a lot of stuff, like, like your work. I just love it, and I would never have picked it up 20 years ago because I thought I was this other guy. I never even thought that I could enjoy something like that. And Capitalist mm. Bacon, once again, mm. something else. I would have never thought about reading, but yet I love it. So I, yeah. I think you're right. I don't I don't think all these genres are um, are real. I think they're artificial. I, they're not helpful. Like Capitalist Bacon, where would that go in a bookshop? Like, would it go into politics? <laughs> you know, I, I don't so even know wrong. how to answer that question. <laughs> I'd, I'd put it under literary stroke general. Well, yeah, but which is which is your catch-all? Which is where everything with, should be. Yeah, yeah. It would fall in with everything. You you lose it. Mm. Of course, then again, without genres, without classifications, everything may fall in, and we may lose it all. Who knows? Mm, I think people are smarter than that. <laughs> well, you know, you I can, think I mean, she sees so much <laughs> genre com bending or not bending. Um, genre. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Combining. Um, because we are also at this point now where, Rowena, like you said, every crime, right, is ultimately boils down to the same thing, someone doing something wrong. Hmm. There's only so many ways, right, you can take that if you're within a strict genre. Like, how many new science fiction stories out there? And that's probably a terrible hmm. example because science is always growing. How many new fantasy stories out there can you really write? So now you start seeing, you know, where there is combining, where it's fantasy and crime, where it's fantasy yes. and horror, it's fantasy and science yes. fiction, you know. Um, yes. Yes. And it's allowing people to tell new stories because you can't tell new stories within um, these old, old guidelines anymore because, for the love of God, every possible story now almost, right, has been written. Yes. Yes. For me, and I'd reality is writing stranger stories, so we, we're struggling to keep up with reality. Well, for me, I'd, mm -hmm. I'd say the the area in which you can really push things and and, and create things that are new are, are within character, which you know is is the, is the basic source of story, um, ca characters and what changes them. So, mm. I I think you're right, um, JJ, in what you say about genre fiction. Um, but it, but even even within that, the the basic elements of the story I think are the characters. So, and honestly, with you know both of the books, with both Capitalist Bacon and Kiss Wife, the, the strength is absolutely in the characters. As for me, as a reader, anyway. Yeah, I think I have to agree. 
I would say the same for Splice as well. Like we were saying earlier Ooh. that, you know, really it's it's so character driven, you know, even like discussing where does it fall within science fiction? It was like the consensus was basically doesn't matter. <laughs> Characters mm. are good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be drawn in a bookshop to to action adventure, um, you know, um, teenager action adventure. I, I wouldn't normally pick that up. But, but but Splice doesn't really, it fits there, but it also fits in so many other places. So, and I've, I've loved it. So it's, I, I just think we need to expand our concept of genre. I think we could do that with tagging. Um, you, could, you know, the way that could. the internet works on other things by putting in mm -hmm. tags and, and finding uh, you know, topics, types of characters or whatever it might be that you're interested in and, and finding them that way. Right. But but sort of the world is still very much in this groove of, of sort of the traditional marketing genres. And it's hard, it's hard to break out of that because of expectations, even with readers, even though we all struggle against it. And I, I agree with everything that's being said. But as, as you know, as part of a, a partnership here that's working very hard on marketing our, our, our new ZZ Adams series, um, it's hard not to kind of segment and target people that like science fiction or military science fiction, uh, humorous, humorous fiction, that, that sort of thing, because the, they're expecting that. Um, and at the same time doing that, we could be missing out on all the other people that would love it for other reasons. Uh, so I don't know. It's, it's just a challenge, I think. Well, and I think too, we're, we're in a transition phase when it comes mm. to all this. I mean, to sit and say genre is dead, say is wrong. Say yes. genre is dying and that within, I don't know, 10, 15, who knows years, it will be dead, you know, or whatever. But yeah, to act like it's dead now, I, I could definitely see from a marketing perspective would lead you to zero sales. Mm, mm. No, libraries don't set up books via genre. Who does? Libraries. No, they have, they, they set up books via via uh, certainly non-fiction books are set up by by um, 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 category like you know war or whatever but not but fiction is set up it simply runs on from the um, the title of the the name of the author how many kilojoules it. you can get out of a book based on the number of pages it has when they're burned <laughs> <laughs> I like paper books <laughs> so John, would you like to tell us about the novel you're writing? Yeah, I'm sorry for that. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> okay. A long, time, a long time ago, my father was a disc jockey on FM radio. And he had a talk show and... It was a fairly popular talk show in Durham at the time. And women would come in and take their clothes off and parade around in front of him. So, <laughs> really? And they, yes, they would do this. They're trying to get him to mess up on air. And, mm. um, I mean, it was weird stuff goes on back in the 60s. So I told Trish, my wonderful, <laughs> wonderful companion, then we've been together for 12 years now. And I mean, she really is wonderful. But in any case, I told her about that this afternoon before I was coming down here to get ready for, to do the podcast. So Trish just walked in while everybody was talking and just rips her shirt off and <laughs> dances around the office. <laughs> I, I, anyway. So Ooh, I know. what was the question? <laughs> Great success. <laughs> okay. Memorago. Memorago is, um, it's a project that I've been wanting to work on for years and years and years. I think I got the original idea to do Memorago in 2001. Um, Memorago is the name of the book that I'm working on. And Memorago itself is a virtual reality 
that has woken up and has provided to humanity the ability to live multiple lifetimes in just a few weeks. You know, each lifetime just takes a few weeks because uh, you upload your consciousness into Memorago. Memorago does this little time thing and you can live your entire life. So people naturally begin to worship Memorago because Memorago doesn't just give them life. Memorago gives them unlimited lives. And Memorago, the book, is about how badly that can go. Well, that sounds really interesting. It starts out with a cat dying. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. No, you can't do that. You can't uh, kill a cat. It, it, it has, just has, has to, because that cat becomes the master of Memorago in the end. Oh, no, spoiler. Oh. Spoiler. <laughs> slight, spoiler. Spoiler. Good God. Massive spoiler, but that's that's awesome. And and actually, that cat is the reason Memorago exists, right? That cat is the reason that the book is actually yeah. being written. That cat um, was excuse me, was my cat, uh, Kashi. And Kashi died rather suddenly. And just as a coincidence, I had just started writing the book. And in the beginning of the book, the cat does die. And I had just finished writing that part and my cat was killed by two dogs. Oh. And it just devastated me. And I couldn't, I couldn't even write for like two years. And yeah. then thanks to several of the people who just happened to be on this, not a podcast, <laughs> I started working on Memorago again back in June. And so now I'm about, I don't know, a third of the way through. I'm writing very slowly. Rowena, you think you write slowly, but you'll notice I haven't posted a chapter of Memorago <laughs> since July. <laughs> I, I have noticed that, yes. <laughs> They're waiting. coming. They're coming. They're just coming so slowly. But anyway, yeah, that's that's exactly why I'm trying to write the book. So it's kind of um, it's kind of a completion of a project that I had in mind starting in about 2001, um, and also a tribute to Kashi uh, because I feel like I really should finish this book. So it's really great sci-fi too. It's very in Inception-y and all of the layers and. Uh, it, it's yeah. sort of big yeah, thinking sci-fi. Yeah, the closest thing that I could think of what it actually is is Inception. Mm -hmm. uh, in Inception, if you've never seen the movie, Inception is uh, a team of people who go into these people's dreams, and then they go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into their subconscious. And each depth is a completely different layer, a completely different universe. And different things can happen in different ways in these different universes. And in that way, Memorago is similar because in Memorago, the main characters are propelled from one reality to another reality to another reality. And in some of these realities, they aren't even the same person. They may be um, female in one reality, male in another reality. Um, this ethnicity in that reality and another one in the further one. Um, and it goes, through like, uh, it goes through things like that. And the underlying theme in the first book of Memorago is the acceptance of the death of this cat and the main character, Mac, is going to go through all these many life-changing events that any one of which has the power to change his life. And he goes through multiple versions until at the end he finally understands how and why he should accept it. And that also leads on to the next uh, book, which will be the actual Memorago and the worship of the machine. And... Um, how that can go terribly wrong. Whoa. There's a lot of deep themes there. Uh, I, it's, it's as, it's as with everything that... Pull off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big project, but, John, with everything you've written, I and mean, there's always a lot of nuance in it, and, and you're, a, you're a wonderful oh, writer. Thank you. Thanks. I absolutely agree. Um, and this, you know, from from seeing the early parts that you that you, you put on Ink, 
it it was clear this was going to be a very complex book to write and and a, and a challenge well you're right about that and it will take a while <laughs> but i'll get it right and and i have no doubt that i'll get it right i mean i'm the kind of guy who'll spend six weeks getting 250 words just right <laughs> so i'll spend the rest of my life on this if i have to and that still probably makes From you makes you a faster writer than george rr R. martin so you're okay <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, thanks thanks for giving me a second to um to poke that up there. I I've really enjoyed what I've read of it so far. Thanks. But yes, I was waiting for the rest of it, and it has been an awfully long time. Well, it has. Uh, over the summer, honestly, we all have these things happen, and I had some um, some local events that really took my attention away from writing. I didn't get mm. to write very much at all. As of this week, I am so happy to report that that is over and I can actually get back to writing. Um, I don't have that distraction anymore. Oh, excellent. Good. One, yes. one of the things ended up in jail. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that I found really, really a, a useful lesson, I guess, um, in how because because with the ZZ Adams project, we've been writing very quickly has been the benefits to me as a as a writer in writing as fast as possible um and and stilling that editorial voice and just making sure that just you know the words get out the structure generally gets gets pumped out um in a very non-poetic way <laughs> and then because the the what i'm finding with myself and this may not be true for anybody else but with with myself anyway is that the process of writing a first draft is not necessarily the same process as ordering that that draft um, in that that second pass uh, stage. So something as complex as Memorago, where you know you, you you may need to come back at it at you know at different times in, with different mindsets and shift things around and find areas that need to be worked on or improved or deepened or removed or whatever it might be. But if you try and do all of that together at the same time as you're trying to get the first draft out, for me, I get clogged up like a printer that gets its nozzles all clogged up and I can't go anywhere. So ignoring that, way. yeah, well, then this may be helpful um, where you just sort of push out all the words as much as you can and try and get it as close as you can to something, then stop, come back, change your hat, and take a look at it again and go, okay, now we're, I'm going to snip this, I'm going to move this and do that. And that may help. Um, Cause I can't wear those hats at the same time. Um, and when I try, it's too much. And, you know, I don't know, I don't like the, the printer nozzle um, metaphor sort of analogy. So I'm going to go with the juggling. There's just too many balls to keep in the air at once. And they start, they start dropping. You start focusing on the act of juggling rather than on the act of getting the balls, you know, whatever yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i think you're right what i've been trying to yep. do um since well actually not since july but since i started rewriting this um this time not the first time the first time i was trying to write the whole thing all at one time what i'm focusing on now is i'm trying to focus on the dialogue and the beats with the dialogue and moving my characters through those beats, through their dialogue, and letting their dialogue tell the story. And I'm going to go back on the first pass edit, and I'm going to add in all the scenery, all of the world building, everything that I saw there. But I just don't, because people do not talk and then take a beat. They just keep talking. So I, the, only, the only beats I'm going to throw in on this first, uh, first draft are the ones that are necessary to remind me exactly what's going on. And the rest of it's just pure dialogue. That's why you guys haven't seen anything after the first couple of chapters. It's because I changed my method of writing. And I did this after talking to you, Andrew, and you, Damien, um, mm. because I had to do something to simplify. I had to do something to speed the words out because the words are in there. I was mm. just having trouble getting them out because I'm used to writing flash fiction, short fiction, where I'm going to spend a lot of time right up front trying to build my scene and then take away this as I, as I build the story I rip away that scene and put the characters in its place whereas with the novel I got a funny thing uh, going on with me I think 
that it's exactly the opposite. I think what I want to see is I want to see this happen. I want to see my characters act and react. And then I'll go back and I'll fill in everything else for everybody else. And I hope that works. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense to me, that, that simplification. Because it's not done. It's just a draft, right? right. And, and, not done. And, and there may be many drafts, and it's probably the same, uh, I, I would hazard a guess, with, with the, the complex thing that Rowena is writing as well. Um, you know, this no, is... no, mine is, um, it's, it's a different process. You know, um, I find I need to have a solid base to stand on. So the chapters have to be quite good um, before I can do the next one. So, I mean, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about it and then I write it. But if, it's, if I were to do the, the fast pumping out of words, which I think is the, is the recommended way to write a novel anyway, um, mm. that's, that's the way all the really good novels get written. They, you get all the words out and then you go back and edit them because you can't yep. edit something that's not there. Um, but I find that with this, with this one, um, I really need to have all of the things in place before I can move on. Otherwise, the, the, the plot collapses. The story just collapses. I think something you just said resonated with me. You said, with this one. So with, mm -hmm. with each project, I wonder if it just changes, if, if we change. Say, this is my first book. I've written a lot of stories, but this is my mm -hmm. first book. And I wonder if maybe on the second book, I will have a different strategy. Well, I, this is my second novel. And I, I, I was a, a story writer. Um, and it's quite different, different craft, I agree. Um, and my, my other book, Cloud of Frozen Air, is, is more of your traditional uh, mystery. And yes, I could certainly really pump out the words with that one when I wanted to. And it wasn't as, although it was a little bit critical, because once again, because it's mystery crime, you need to have the the clues in there and you need to have people acting authentically. Um, but it was much easier just to get the words out. Yes. So yeah, I guess they're all different. Like children, aren't they? All our children are different. All our books are children. I mean, for, for me, I, I and something that Andrew's pointed out many times is that I tend to write in layers. Um, I'll, I'll go through and do a first draft and a second draft and a third draft and I'll be adding more stuff every time. That's kind of the way I'm doing Memorago, I think, because yeah. that's, you know, I'm just starting with the dialogue. Yeah, I'm trying to do that this time um, with layers, and I'm finding it's helping me. But, you know, somebody I, I, said something a while ago about um, the arrangement, about uh, the first draft is not actually the book, it's and you haven't actually arranged it. And that actually goes all the way back to any kind of writing, I think, or any kind of fiction writing. Uh, the, I've got this rule when I write short stories that I'll just immediately, without reading it, delete the first paragraph because it's usually worthless. And I may take what was the second paragraph, make it move to the third, take the third, move it back to the first, take a paragraph number eight and move it up to number five. I mean, you do all kinds of weird stuff when you finally get the, get it written. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And it really is, the, you know, in, in the editing, I'll often find places where, you know, I'll, I'll switch paragraphs out, swap things around. Very much the same with doing poetry as well. Um, you know, you get a lot of strength in the order in which you place things. Um, I'm so glad that I work with words and not paint. <laughs> <laughs> I need to move this wall over here. Right. But it's all out of order. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, you may you may not believe it, but we're about to hit the two hour mark, so I think it's probably time to call it a night. Cool. No, I think we should. I okay. On me. <laughs> yeah, I got a cold drink and a hot wife, so I'm gonna. Oh, <laughs> lucky man. <laughs> um, but thank thank you for good. inviting me. Well, thank you yeah, all likewise. for coming on. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun, and we'll we'll do we'll do this again. Awesome. We definitely I will. I think we might might invite you back for like a Christmas special episode or something. That'd be nice. Sweet. Oh, it's a good idea. With Nog. Yeah, absolutely. 
That's the we character should... from Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, right? <laughs> Nog. <laughs> Nog. We should have some more things released into the wild by then, too. We could to discuss um, Good. if people are up for it. And then we can see uh, progress on everyone's projects. Mm, yes. I mean, cool. We probably Let's should do it. Do, we probably should do a um, a a call to action. So, if if you'd like to know more about us, go to zzadams.com. Definitely go there. Yeah, absolutely. And sign up and sign up to our newsletter. Sign up to the newsletter. You won't regret it. I did. And I haven't gotten any that I didn't want. You didn't regret it yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> they haven't it's a zero... my address. <laughs> we will never do that. It's a zero regret newsletter. You can say zero that. Regret. So sign up. Sign up right now. <laughs> All I'm hearing is Homer Simpson going, the worst day of your life so far. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so thank you everyone for listening and um, thank you to John, JJ and Marina for showing up. That was really nice to be and thank you Andrew for showing up as well. And um, I've been ZZ Adams. I, I've also been ZZ Adams. And I haven't been ZZ Adams. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> I don't think JJ. I have, but I'm never sure about anything. <laughs> JJ occasionally poses as ZZ Adams. <laughs> Sometimes awesome. JJ drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, everyone. We'll see you later. Bye. Thank everyone you. Have a great okay. evening, day, morning, whatever it is for you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.